Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. And welcome to uh, Thursday, February 25, 2021. Um, sun's out. For the first time, I'm seeing my... Uh, backyard without snow. There's a little few holdout spots here and there, but I haven't seen that in a long, long time. And blue sky, which uh, is wonderful. I don't know when I started doing this uh, weather thing uh, at the beginning, but just like when you're stuck with a person uh, that you don't know very well or something, and you're trying to make small talk, invariably, we all fall back on the weather, right? It's just, it's a shared experience. Um, it's, it's not, uh, is it, I'm wondering, is it, is it in any way a uh, politicized issue? Well, I guess, I mean, the, the, I don't know. Are Republicans now saying the sky isn't blue? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know, and when it comes to climate change, a bigger weather picture that uh, that has become a partisan issue. But geez, I want to talk about the Republicans a little bit. I'm sorry. It's it's just that I, I happened upon a, a very interesting analogy uh, in an article in The Atlantic. And uh, this writer, uh, let me find out who he is, Tom Nichols, uh, it says, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out who are the Republicans like? Are they fascists? Are they this? Are they that? Are, what's happening? And he says, I'll tell you what they are. If you, I mean, if you know Russian history, they are very similar to what the Communist Party in the Soviet Union looked like in the late 1970s, that's when Leonid Brezhnev uh, was the president. And um, it's the, uh, the period that the, the, the last uh, leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, always called the era of stagnation. And what Gorbachev meant and what others could clearly see was that the, somehow the, the Soviet Communist Party uh, was <clears throat> spent. It was just done. It was going through the motions. It had lost all ideological conviction. Um, it, it was phoning it in and clinging desperately to power. And it was looked on by the Soviet citizenry as uh, what it was, which is totally failed and corrupt. And, oh, don't do this to me. <laughs> Sorry, this damn computer. Um, uh, and this guy points out so clearly how it is true that the um, – the Republicans now, that, that, that does apply to them. I'm going to have to try to get out of this and start over again. I'm sorry. My, um, uh, yeah, I know this web cage is not responding. Yes, I see that. So, um, geez, 
this is a finely tuned machine I'm operating here. Um, and so the Republican Party is, is essentially almost dead, but it doesn't know it, right? Um, this guy calls it the end stage, the end stage of the Republicans, because it is, it stands for nothing now. It has no policies. It is uh, cynical. It is authoritarian by reflex, and it is controlled almost solely by a personality cult. And a personality cult of uh, corrupted, failing, old man. Uh, so this is the Republican uh, Party. They just don't quite recognize it, right? So for years, we have watched the Republican Party ignore its principles <laughs> remember the principles, the supposed principles that it stood for, kind of, sort of, on occasion. And now it is truly a party of, of hypocrites and uh, terrified, terrified people clinging to power. And in order to do that, they have to pay homage to this despicable, one would only hope, soon to be, well, it won't be soon, soon to be convict. Uh, so Trump now has the status that Brezhnev had, a heroic figure. Um, they they showered, this, the commies in the 70s, showered all kinds of accolades on Brezhnev, trying to make it seem as if the the Soviet people were the luckiest people on wor in the world to have this amazing man in charge. When you know, as history, as we look back now, he was he was uh, anything but. Uh, the the article though notes that a dying party, just like a dying animal, can be a very dangerous thing. And the Soviets of the 70s, of the late 70s, were dangerous. They got heavy again into building up their nuclear arsenal. They uh, really clamped down on, on uh, Jews and uh, dissidents. Um, and the Republican Party now is dangerous and dangerous more so to obviously the United States, its own country. Um, but as this author says, like the, like in the Soviet era, the, the Republicans now are growing more aggressive and more paranoid. So they refuse to deal with the reality of the January 6th riot instead remaining somehow obsessed with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, they, they blame failures on uh, 
invented corruption at uh, the polls. And um, this guy says, like the um, like the Soviets in the seventies, the commies then, <laughs> there is no path to reform. It's it's end stage what we're seeing, and you don't reform. It's too far gone. Now, the person who tried to reform the Communist Party was Gorbachev. He saw what was the reality, and he desperately tried to reform it. And uh, he, of course, is just reviled by all the old commies. Um, and the Republicans, this guy thinks, are are heading in the exact same direction. Um, they're, they're not going to be able to uh, to steady the party to reclaim it. Um, and I sort of think that that's true. But my concern is the damage that they're going to do before this all somehow shakes out. It brings us to Liz Cheney. Now, Liz Cheney, obviously, is uh, somebody who uh, sees what is happening, who comes from a family that clearly cared about the Republican Party as maybe it used to be constituted, and she has emerged as one of the few Republicans in the national elected office willing to flat out say that to stick with Donald Trump will finish the party off. And she did it again yesterday, quite publicly. And I mean, I'm no fan of Liz Cheney, but I am now an admirer. Does that make any sense? I'm an admirer of her courage. For God's sakes, she comes from Wyoming. Wyoming is the most Trumpian state in, in, the, in the republic. It, in fact, in the last election, 70% of voters voted for Trump. 70%. And she will face those voters in just about a year and a half. And I cannot imagine her being reelected. I cannot. But I don't think at this point that she cares. I think she's made the calculation that she is going to be one of the people who attempts to start a new party. I don't know what else she could be thinking because she can't have Trump's party. And it is Trump's party. And a lot of the other Republicans who have 
similarly risked not only their political futures, but, you know, given the makeup of uh, some of Trump's uh, more. Uh... God dang it. I'm going to blame it on uh, my vaccine shot. I can't think of because I never can think of words more, uh, you know, really intense supporters. I, she, she could uh, lose more than her election. And it's what keeps a lot of these Republicans in line. They're terrified for their lives, not just their livelihoods. So this is a courageous person. And um, I, I do, I, I admire her. I admire her. And I mean, history will judge whether or not, um, well, I don't know, will judge, but we'll be able to see uh, whether her calculations were uh, correct and that she, she had a, a path uh, to uh, still having power, if not in the Republican Party, in some other manner. I don't know. But... Uh, she is pretty amazing in that regard. And you look at the men around her in Republican leadership. Good God almighty. I mean, quite clearly, she's got more balls than all of them put together. And it, that, this brings me to another story that I keep seeing. I had meant to talk about this much earlier in the week. Um, and that is uh, about uh, the fact that of getting to the bottom of what happened on January 6th and the, uh, the desire to uh, have a, my computer is simply not working, I'm, which is depriving me of all my, all my information here. I'm just gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna have to go off my memory, God help, God help us all. But the January 6th commission which uh, still is, you know, is, is simply in the con conceptual stage, is already, of course, um, looking uh, like it might not uh, survive. Oh, in some form it will be there. But we are already arguing about um, whether or not it is capable of doing its job in the current political climate. And a lot of people, and some Democrats, I saw Senator Chris Coons came out today and said, the makeup of this commission has got to be 50-50. It's gotta be as many Republicans as Democrats. It has got to be bipartisan or it will not uh, have anybody's, uh, it, it will amount to nothing. It'll just be considered, you know, uh, political. That's not what uh, Nancy Pelosi wants. She wants uh, a majority Democratic uh, commission. And I have to say, that does immediately then allow the Republicans to say, well, the heck with this. I mean, this is obviously totally partisan. 
But what the people like Chris Coons and others are are missing is is that we already know that it was the Republicans who aided and abetted and were a party to the misinformation, the big lie, the whatever you want to call it, false narratives, whatever, that polluted the political landscape and roused the insurgents and created that terrifying, destructive, murderous rampage. The Republican Party was silent in large part. And even after it, as we know, the vast majority of the Republicans still, still reinforced the big lie by voting, in some cases, to take away your vote if you voted in Pennsylvania. So people who say, well, we have to do this in a bipartisan way. Well, sure, that might work if one of the partisans wasn't already implicated in the crime. This is not like the 9-11 Commission. In 9-11, there was not this dynamic. As far as I know, no Democrats or Republicans were flying those planes. But in this case, that is not the case. And so for Republicans to somehow say that, oh, the Democrats are being partisans, and for even some Democrats to to say it, they are failing to recognize the radicalization of the Republican Party and the reality that it is a dangerous partner and is not inclined to view this particular incident without blinders on. It's proven it already. You can't ask the people that fomented the crime to now to now write the history of what caused it. Yeah, it seemed eminently reasonable. Well, you have to have, obviously, equal representation. But the reality is, these are not ordinary times. And equal representation is impossible when one of the parties is complicit. The Republicans are too, uh, you know, 
too tied up in what actually uh, occurred on January 6th. They refused to take on Trump as he as he tilled this this toxic soil with lies. They didn't have the courage. And even after the election, and they knew he'd lost, the vast majority of them silent. They joined lawsuits to invalidate the votes of millions of us. And you still have the Republicans at the state level all over, you know, if they could, drawing and quartering the few Republicans like Liz Cheney who had the courage to speak truth. But don't fall for this crap about bipartisanship. Because the Republicans would come to the table with ill intent to cover up their own mendacity and their own responsibility. I'm wanting to say that. Oh. Roger writes, I'm surprised you are on today. Didn't you get the second vaccine? Everyone I know who received the second shot was bedridden for at least a day. Well, it could happen. I, I could like come apart uh, later today. I, I, I got my second shot, yes, but last night I got it at 7 p.m. And I've talked to a lot of people who said it often was 24 hours before uh, they experience negative side effects. I have a little bit of a, a roiling uh, gut uh, today. But um, so far, I'm I'm feeling um, okay. So I thought we'd give this a a go. Um, and then Roger writes, "What's with the GOP calling Trump the head of the GOP?" Well, because he is. It, because it's it's not the grand old party. It's the Trump party, and they're acknowledging that they're they're paying him the obeisance, or is it obeisance? that uh, autocrats and, um, and, you know, pathetic little men demand. Roger says, you know, most Democrats loved Obama, but I don't recall us saying he was hit. Well, he was head of the party. Well, that's technically not true, Roger. Um, the U.S. president has a million hats to wear. Um, you know, commander in chief, that'd be a full-time job. Um, but he also is the executive of, uh, this large country chief executive. <laughs> That's another big job that one man has all these jobs is of course absurd. And in a lot of other iterations of governance, that doesn't happen. He's also the head of state, you know, in a lot of countries, well, not as many, that goes to uh, the queen or the king. So all those ceremonial duties don't have to be uh, take up the time 
of this busy guy who's running the world's, uh, you know, uh, big biggest military and economy and all this other stuff. But in America, because we don't have like a prime minister and a president, often in those countries, parliamentary countries that are not monarchies, it's the president who does all the ribbon cuttings and the thises and thats. And the prime minister just does the work, right? Well, in our country, the president does everything. And as the president, he does essentially, I mean, I don't think there's a specific title, but yes, he does lead. He is obviously the leader of his party. I mean, he's the president. <laughs> there ain't nobody else in whatever party it is that, uh, that has his power. So, uh, yeah, but this is different because it's not just that Trump is, it's as if Democrats said, okay, well, listen, we're just going to give the party to Obama. Anything he says will jump, right? Republicans have allowed themselves to, to uh, become nothing more than sycophants terrified, pathetic sycophants just desperately trying to hold on to power because this, they, they made a deal. They made a number of deals with the devil. The deals, the deal that, okay, we're a minority party, but you know how we get elected? We get elected by playing the race card. And they've been doing that for as long as I can remember. And little by little over time, that created a Republican Party that is so blindingly white that it no longer even looks like the country it purports to represent. That's a problem. So the Republican Party, and it also jumped in bed with uh, real, real right-wing evangelical Christians, which pulled the party also further away from a moderate American public, right? They made all these deals to stay in power. The only thing they care about. And of course, delivering to rich people and corporations, whatever rich people and corporations want. so that they can stay in power. It's something. And then, you know, Republicans. By the, by the way, I saw a tweet. This is unbelievable. So if the stimulus check gets sent out finally to people who are desperate for some help, you know, they've got to pay income tax on that. So it's like the government says, here, take this. And then a few months later, it says, hey, give it back. Now, at the same time, Somebody who inherits, let's say, 10, I don't know what the number is now, 10 million, 20 million dollars, doesn't pay a dime in tax, income tax. 
So just that right there tells you how corrupted our government is and how it services and serves the rich who have all the resources anyway and just keep sticking it to most of the people who struggle. So you had Republican Senator John Thune waxing nostalgic, explaining why there's no way he would vote for a $15 an hour wage, uh, minimum wage. And he, of course, says, when I was a kid, I started working, I can't remember, at a grocery store. I got a dollar an hour. And I was happy. And then he worked himself up and got three bucks. I don't know. And eventually he was so successful, he was getting six dollars an hour in 1977. Now that's interesting. Six dollars an hour in 1977. You know what a lot of Americans are getting now in 2021, 50 years later almost? Seven dollars and 25 cents. Now there's this thing called inflation, right? So then you hear of people, oh yeah, we bought that wonderful house and it is. It's like this huge house for $40,000. There's this thing called inflation. A $6 an hour salary in 1977, if you factored in inflation, would be $25 an hour today. And this <clears throat> privileged white Republican jerk doesn't know about the fact that $6 that he thinks was just wonderful would really be in today's dollars, 25? And he is adamantly opposed to 15? Unbelievable. <sighs> Greatest obit I've read in a long time in today's paper. I'm going to say a name if you're old enough. Most of you are, I suppose. You'll immediately remember. The name is Fanny Fox. Huh? Does that ring a bell? I'll throw in a few clues. Tidal Basin. And finally, Wilbur Mills. Fanny Fox is dead at the age of 84. That's not her name. That was her stage name. She was a stripper. And um, in, let me get the year right here, in 1974, 2 a.m. in the morning, uh, two United States Park Service uh, police officers spotted a car speeding 
it's lights off. It was near the Jefferson Memorial and they, they pulled it over. And as soon as that car came to a stop, a woman runs bolting from the car and jumps into the tidal basin. Well, the average depth of it is, by the way, 10 feet. And the officers pulled her out, handcuffed her because she was trying to jump back in and returned her to the car where they found the driver and a few other occupants. And lo and behold, the driver was probably one of the most powerful men in America. He was an 18-term Arkansas Democratic representative who headed the Ways and Means Committee. deciding where the money goes. And he was not only drunk as a skunk, he was bleeding from his nose. He had scratches all over his face. Looking more closely at the now drenched woman, they saw she had two black eyes. Now, this might never have gotten into the media because guess what? No charges were filed. <laughs> I don't suppose that had anything to do with it being Wilbur Mills. No charges were filed. In fact, uh, the, the people involved were uh, driven, driven home, although uh, she was driven to a hospital. But it just so happened that a television camera man had happened upon the scene and not knowing who it was, but seeing it was quite a spectacle, had filmed it. So, bango, it made the news. And this was huge, this was huge. This is right after, not long after, Richard Nixon resigned. And I guess, you know, here's a scandal again. We know how much fun this stuff is, and this one, more fun. Because we got a stripper, we got sex, we got drinks, we got all this stuff. And he was up for re-election. And amazingly, he got re-elected. Narrowly. He'd never had such a scare before. And as soon as he gets back to D.C., he starts right back in with her. It turns out they lived in the same building. Fanny Fox knew his wife. And then Wilbur shows up in Boston where Fanny is performing at a burlesque club. This is later in the same year. And he comes, let me see if I can find this account. The Washington Post obit is a riot. Um, okay, so it says here, 
She was at Boston's Pilgrim Theater. And he appeared in the wings and then teetered on stage. This is the head of the Ways and Means Committee. He teeters on stage and she then says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I have a visitor for you. I'm sure she's thinking, I God almighty, uh, Mr. Mills. And here I am, he said. And of course the crowd went nuts. Mills takes the microphone, walks to center stage and starts just an incoherent ramble. Reporters are immediately there. Backstage, it says here that Mills delivered one of the most excruciating news conferences ever captured on film. You might want to go look at that. I did not uh, bother. Um, and he was saying that she was not going to do this anymore. She was not going to strip. Well, when he got back to D.C., Mills was removed as the Ways and Means Committee chair and went off to an alcohol rehab uh, center. And it also turns out that he was on a lot of drugs, too. Um, I think what's really interesting is what happened to her, and I did not know this. She was Argentinian by birth, although she became a uh, U.S. citizen. And this event, while it just, you know, usually in these kinds of things, what? The woman is destroyed and the man survives. That's how it works, ask any woman. In this case, he was taken down and she, instead of getting $400 a night, started demanding $3,500 a night at the Silver Slipper, which is where Wilbur would go to see her. So her career took off. She was a national figure and uh, wasn't such a bad thing. She later married. She had children. She wrote a book. And then incredibly, in in her 50s, had to be mid-50s, she got a hankering for a lot more education than she had. So she immediately earned a bachelor's degree in 95. That would be 20 years later. And then after that, she goes on to get a master's in marine science. And then all the way in 2004, 30 years after the title basin, she gets a master's in business administration. Two master's degrees, one in marine science. I wonder if the dip in the title basin in any way prompted that. And then she gets an MBA. 
And on top of that, she became a scuba diving master. So I was happy to hear this. Fanny Fox. It turned out okay for her. And somewhere I should give you her real name. Uh, I'm having trouble finding it. Um, Annabelle, and through marriage, I think Montgomery. So there you have it. Pretty cool. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, now let's see where I am here. Oh, oh this computer, I hate it. I hate it. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, there are a lot of other good stories I saw today. Oh, man, this story is just amazing. And I have questions about it. Again, if any of you can get on your computers and figure this out. Did you see the picture of the Australian sheep that was found in a forest? It was a wild sheep. I didn't know there was such a thing as a wild sheep, number one. Number two, the people who found it named it Barack, I suppose, after Obama. But the picture of this sheep is mind-blowing because its fleece had kept growing and growing because it had not been sheared and it can barely move. It it is looks like this huge black ball with two spindly, I guess there's four, I can only see two, four spindly little legs and a nose. And the, the, the stuff is hiding its eyes, so it was blinded. It was underweight, I mean underweight. So they get it to a um a sanctuary. And they start taking the fleece off this poor animal. 78 plus pounds. Seven, 78 pounds. And they say that it, it appears that Barak was once um, owned by somebody because it looked like he'd had an ear tag. Um, and it says here that sheep must be shorn at least annually. Otherwise, you get what happened to Barak. The fleece continues to grow and grow and grow until the animal literally is almost killed by it, I guess. Um. So here's my question. Is this what happens to animals we domesticate? Were there, I mean, there were sheep before we domesticated them and they weren't shorn every year, right? So if a sheep must be shorn, then they can't be in the wild. 
So we have made them totally dependent on us. Is that what's happened? Is it's like it's like cows. I mean, dairy cows, they have to be milked every day. I think sometimes twice a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I've always wondered, well, what would happen to a cow who wandered away or who wasn't milked? Do they just like explode? Is this what happens to domesticated animals? As I, I, I wish somebody knew the answer to this and, and would uh, call me or email me something because I was just blown away by it. But anyway, if you it, it, check out this poor animal, uh, a wild Australian sheep, 78 pounds of wool. And while we're on stories of little consequence, although that one is the one that will stay with me of all the things I read uh, today. Um, so remember Springsteen got caught drinking in some park in Jersey, and he was charged with drunken driving. He had his motorcycle. And it said, I mean, at the time when I was, we were talking about it, it said his blood alcohol content was 0.02, which ain't drunk. Even in New Jersey, it's 0.08. How he got charged with drunk driving, I don't know. Anyway, he goes to court yesterday. And uh, not surprisingly, the drunk driving charge was immediately uh, dropped, as was the reckless driving charge. And the only thing that was upheld was the fact that he was drinking. He had a flask and he had taken two shots of tequila. And this was in a park in which drinking is not allowed. So he, by the way, wearing a suit and tie. Have you ever seen him in a suit and tie? It shows the respect, you know, showing respect, cute. Um, and he was, uh, and it's not like he had to go into the court. It's all video conferenced, right? Zoomed. So he um, still donned a sober suit and a tie, and and he admitted he'd had two small shots of tequila. And then the judge said, well, okay, buddy, but uh, we got to find you. $540. Jeez, I hope that tequila was good. $540. And, um, and then the judge, because I guess he's on, you know, this is just what they do after telling somebody, you owe me $540 for, for that. Um, he said, Mr. Springsteen, I need to ask you how long you need uh, to pay the fine. <laughs> um, because, yeah, for some people, this is what gets black people or or, or poor white people in jail because they can't pay the fine. And Springsteen responded to the judge, uh, Your Honor, I, I think I can pay that uh, immediately. This has created quite um, a hullabaloo, by the way, in Jersey 
and among um, Springsteen fans. And and one one <laughs> this sums it up. You know, one podcast host said, "You don't arrest the Pope at the Vatican, and you don't arrest the boss at the Jersey Shore." Which is true, but no one told the cop. Do you see the repairs to the Capitol after all those lovely uh, Trump patriots um, stormed it? It's going to cost us $30 million. I'm a little shocked at that. 30 mil. They say they damaged like antiques and paintings that will require expert, you know, reconstruction. And oh my God. Oh, here's another good one. Hang on here. My favorite, Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) You know, she, who a lot of women think is some kind of guru about women's health. And she is so repulsive to me. I can't, well, I've bragged on her before. But she has now totally annoyed the head of the UK's National Health Service, who felt a need to actually respond to something Paltrow is peddling. Because she's now peddling how to recover from the coronavirus. You know what she says you should do? Listen to this. She says that she has been suffering from long-term effects from the coronavirus. And she began to participate in an intuitive fasting program. Don't ask me what the hell that is. In part, it is you don't eat until 11 every day. You don't need any sugar. You don't consume any alcohol, but you do consume a plant-based ketogenic diet. And very importantly, you work out and you do infrared sauna. What's an infrared sauna, for one thing? I mean, like everybody, oh, sure, I'll just jump right up here in my infrared sauna. Anyway, the head of the UK's National Health Service said this. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is, Gwyneth Paltrow is unfortunately suffering from the effects of COVID. We wish her well. But some of the solutions she's recommending are really not the solutions we would recommend. So um, he went on to say that, you know, people like her have a responsibility to not spread misinformation. Oh, God. Boy, she's the gift that keeps on giving. Man. 
And what else do I got here? I, I just got a bunch of things. I might as well just mute them out. Uh, oh, thank God, the most powerful man in the U.S. Senate, that'd be the senator from West Virginia, one Joe Manchin, has said that he will vote for uh, Deb Haley's confirmation. She's the uh, Native American who will be heading the uh, Interior Department. There was concern because she has radical ideas like, uh, well, taking care of the land. <laughs> oh, um, and because of the women who are going up to Capitol Hill to get confirmed are, are facing a lot more hostility than the guys, by the way. And these are often women of color. Uh, Nira Tandon, who looks like she's kaput as OMB, uh, she's uh, Indian American, and uh, she's going down because of Mansion. Again, he's the one. He holds that much power, and he, like so many Republicans, was appalled and offended by the tweets she had done in the last four years. Now, let me tell you, her tweets are nowhere near as horrible as what their beloved cult leader president was tweeting for four years. But I'll tell you what did her in with Manchin. One of those tweets didn't target him. It his daughter targeted his daughter. Remember his daughter? His daughter headed uh, what, Milan, the ones that uh, her name is Heather Bresch, right? Am I remembering this right? Her name is Heather Bresch, and she headed Milan when it um, when it outrageously inflated uh, the drug. Uh, God, what's it called? The EpiPen. The EpiPen for people who are going to you know, can die from anaphylactic reactions and stuff. The EpiPen, which a lot of people have to carry with them. For a while, I had to carry one because of medication, this infusion I had to uh, get for my asthma. And every year I had to get a new one. And they cost like 300 plus dollars. That's even with insurance. So... Tandon went after Bresh, Manchin's daughter, and because she did, I guess, she ain't going to be heading the OMB anytime soon. I'm sorry, uh, Amy. I didn't see um, that I had a caller, and, and I, I didn't, um, I didn't, <laughs> sorry. Um, so that's all I that's all I can say, and I'm sorry to the caller, because the only thing I saw is they hung up. That's the only thing I saw. So forgive me for that. Um, also, just since we got what five minutes left, I I want to get to two other things that I found uh, worthy of of passing on to you. First of all, uh, Rachel Levine, remember her? 
Uh, she was Pennsylvania's uh, health secretary. And, and then the Biden administration scarfed her up. And she, as uh, they nominated her as their, I think, deputy secretary of health. And she's going to Capitol Hill today for her, um, for her confirmation hearing. And I feel for her because I think some of the Republican senators are going to have a lot of difficulty because of her trans status. But that's not what they're going to say. They're just going to pillory her. And I, and for all I know, she deserves it. I don't know. For the totally messed up way that Pennsylvania, um, you know, rolled out its uh, vaccination program. And they also have some other, you know, it's not as if anyone in that kind of position in this time does not have uh, negatives. But uh, I feel for her because I see that she's going into that hellhole. Um, also, and this is good, more than 200 faith leaders in the evangelical Christian movement have signed a letter decrying Christian nationalism and not just decrying Christian nationalism, but acknowledging its role in the January 6th coup attempt. Now, this is from a group called SayNoToChristianNationalism.org, and some of the signers are biggies. I mean, they have these huge, huge megachurches. But in their letter, they say that a, a lot of American Christians have fallen into this. It's a, it's a heresy. It's a version of American nationalism that is trying to camouflage itself as Christianity, but it ain't. It's heresy. The letter says over the centuries, there are moments when the church has seen distortions of the faith that warranted a response. And this is such a time. They called on churches to hold emergency councils in order to unilaterally denounce these mutations of Christian faith and to affirm the core values at the heart of Christianity. They go on to say just as many Muslim leaders after 9-11 felt the need to denounce distorted, violent versions of their faith, we feel the urgent need to denounce this violent mutation of our faith. Um, I hate to tell you, but I suspect this is a minority of that community um, it says here that some of the signers, I don't know any of these people, David Swaim, the Reverend Kevin Riggs, and Jerusha Duford, uh, who's a granddaughter of Billy Graham, 
Jerusha? Jeez, I never heard that name. So, okay, I just got to say, that's good. It ain't bad. That's good. And a few other, oh, we're out of time. I made it. I have to admit, I didn't think I was going to do the show today. So uh, let's hope I don't. I don't feel too awful as the day progresses, but for the moment, I'm feeling pretty good. Okay, thank you all for being there. My apologies again to the person who called and I didn't see. And um, I'll talk at you again on, uh, on Monday. Be safe. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live. Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.